Hello, and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 33. This week, Brian and I are talking about the divinity of Jesus. We look at the scriptures claiming Jesus's divinity and Jesus's own words and what that means for us as Christians. Before we get started, if you're enjoying the podcast, would you mind leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or a review on Facebook? If that's not your thing, would you mind sharing the post about this episode or another episode you've enjoyed on Facebook or just tell your friends? That works as well. We'd love to expand our audience. All right, let's jump into this episode looking at the divinity of Jesus. I can be brown, I can be blue, I can be violent. Okay, there we go. There's our TikTok for everybody. Yeah, we're starting again. Oh, we're going to start again. Yeah. Oh, you want to do it? Was that not a start? I feel like we started. Okay. How are you, Ryan? I'm good, Brian. How are you? I'm well. It's good to be back in the bistro. It is good to be back in the bistro. We're Got some here. Nice coffee. Good, oh, very good yes, coffee. coffee. This yeah. is a single origin Honduras mm-hmm. roast. Um, it's very nice, and it's made in our new coffee pot called yeah. the Mocha Master. That's that's pretty pretty nice. Pretty fancy. Uh, it it is fancy. It's, it's not. It is a. It's a step above Mister Coffee. It is a step. <laughs> Anything's a step above Mr. Coffee. <laughs> Shoving coffee grounds in your mouth and mixing it with your saliva is a step above Mr. Coffee. Okay. Anyway, not to dismerch, be besmirch the name of Mr. Coffee. Mr. Coffee, yeah. I'm sure there are plenty of people that like so it. So much there goes another sponsor uh, opportunity. <laughs> Mr. Coffee, we're <laughs> right, so close to closing right that deal. Yeah. Anyway, well, welcome back to the yeah, Bistro. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. good. I'm good. You know, just uh, living the life. We're back here in Greenwood. Yes. Just south in the, of the Indianapolis In the area. office. In the... In the, the ultimate the, office. Where the magic happens. So, that's yep. what I like to call it. <laughs> yep. That's, that's what's <laughs> happening here. Uh, that's the Bistro. Um, and so, we're going to talk about some fun things yeah. today. Uh, what are we going to... I mean, tell us what we're going to Well, gonna we were going to talk about Jesus, I think, right? <laughs> school no come on jesus no we've we've been talking about some theology topics along the way we've talked about the trinity we've talked about god Mm -hmm. theology proper um all the good stuff right so i thought we'd talk a little bit about jesus today some of the and you know there's there's lots of implications of this too uh pretty central to our faith i mean we call ourselves followers of christ right we're we're christians that's how we're identified and so we should know i think so we should know something about jesus because he is labeled the christ so yep, christian right. christ jesus so yeah so <clears throat> whenever i talk about jesus i always start kind of with this i i say that there there are kind of three parts i shouldn't say parts even but three elements to, to what we understand about jesus we understand he is he is fully divine mm-hmm. and that's really what we're going to focus on today is jesus divinity that he is fully divine fully human and, and here's the third part, and this sometimes get left out. Some people say, well, yeah, I believe Jesus is fully divine, fully human. Now, there are people who deny one or the other of those. But um, the third part of it is that, that those two natures aren't in conflict, that that he, you know, that's not too. There's not know, a warring happening. He's fully right. this and fully right. that. And, and so some people have a hard time with this. Um, the the tech, Let me give you a funny 
technical, not funny, but fun te- technical term for this. It's hypostatic union is what we talk about. Oh, that was on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> just I was just getting ready to say it, it. It comes from a Greek word, which I know you're studying some Greek. Yes, so, so, slowly, <laughs> slowly. So there's this word called hypostasis that you see in, uh, I think we talked about this when we talked about God, or maybe the Trinity, we talked about Hebrews chapter 1. And in Hebrews chapter one verse three, you might remember that that idea that he he is um, you know in in very being uh, he he's the uh, uh, I can't remember how to say it. let me let me read it real quick uh oh uh oh he's done uh, yeah verse three the the sun is the radiance of God's I was looking for that word radiance radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being and it's that that word being is hypostasis and so it, you know we, we're talking about what is his nature what is what is his being and so we understand he shares being uh, as a you know divine we've talked about he's the creator um he's given divine attributes but he is also fully human which is very important for us as, as well uh, you talked about we were talking about Hebrews 1 if you look at Hebrews 2 mm-hmm. in verse 8 it talks about the importance of his humanity and again we're not going to focus on that today uh, but uh, this is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. It says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make their the pioneer or the author of their salvation perfect through what he suffered, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So, so Jesus was fully human as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in every way as we are, yet without sin, as as we would say. But but uh, those two natures are not in conflict with one another. In other words, he's not, you know, some kind of at war with, within himself or anything. It's fully human, fully divine. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I think back to like we were, I was just reading with the kids, uh, Jesus being tempted the yeah. 40 days, you yeah. know, and it's, it's Satan is tempting him with physical sure. things, but it's also saying, you know, even Satan saying to him, throw yourself from the temple. Sure. And it says, you know, in scripture, it says that God's not going to let his, right. you know, it's, it's that we're getting glimpses of, his frailty as a human, sure. like wanting mm-hmm. sustenance, yeah, and then also like even Satan acknowledging a little bit, yeah, <laughs> the divinity, divinity, and that's that's really what I want to talk about because a lot of people will will say I should say a lot of people there are people who will say and there there are major religions that would say well Jesus was a good teacher he was a he was a prophet um, he he was a wise man. Mm-hmm. But we'll stop short of saying that he's divine, and I think that's one of the unique claims of Christianity. and And I think it's necessary in, in, within Christian orthodoxy, in other words, right belief. I think it is necessary for us to absolutely affirm Jesus is fully divine, and so that's kind of what, what I wanted to talk about a little bit today. Um, before we move on, that that idea, I, I was going to bring up the Athanasian Creed, and we we come from a group of churches that aren't big on creeds. Yes, but um, which is the Restoration Movement? Yeah, we'll talk about that movement. at some point. Yeah, yeah. But the the Athanasian Creed, and it's a late creed. It's from the sixth century, and it's not really from Athanasius. Athanasius wrote more in like the fourth century, um, but. The, the Athanasian Creed kind of summarizes some of the his, his approach because Athanasius was a strong defender of the divinity of Jesus in a time when there were those who were who were kind of disputing his divinity. Yeah, and, and, and we were talking about that the other day yeah. that there was just some of these early um, conversations about sure. theology, yeah. and that uh, this was one of the the big conversations. Yeah. And so there was uh, I remember we were reading about this Bible college, there's a guy named Arius. Yeah, sure. And then he had Athanasius, and there was this, yeah. th- they were kind of the the representatives of parties saying yeah. this, you know, that Arius was saying that Jesus is not, he was a creation. A similar substance. A similar God, substance, but, yeah. but not mm-hmm. fully God, and Athanasius, yeah. who was like that strong. He defender. is absolutely divine. So the Athanasian Creed, I'm just going to read a couple lines from it. 
uh, it, it, the part about Jesus kind of believe, begins with, we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man. So that kind of summarizes. And then he goes through a lot of language. It's interesting to read and important to read, I think. But then it gets to the very end. It says, one altogether, not by confusion of substance, but by unity of purpose. And so, so that idea that those two natures are not in conflict is kind of what I always add. Again, I think a lot of people say, well, he, he's fully human and fully divine. Um, but that idea that these two parts are not at war with one another, but in unity is an important part of this as well. Now, one of the, and when I've taught students this in the past, one of the things that they have, they've talked about is, well, how can he be both divine and human as though, and, and this is, I think one thing that helped me kind of get this straight in my head when I, when I thought about it as though divinity and humanity were opposites. And, mm. and the one thing I was talking about that may help us kind of get our head around and I'm not saying it's not, it's an easy concept for us to get our head around, but, but divinity and humanity are not opposites. Mm. Um, that they're, they're not at war with each other. Right. And yeah, it, it, it's like, you know, we sometimes think, and, and I'm going to say a couple things here that, you know, you know, maybe make us think about it. But what I would usually say is, is the opposite of human is inhuman, right? Or mm-hmm. we would say, or, um, and, and I would often say, and I, I believe this is true, there is no opposite of God. Um, you know, if God is, is the, the, um, the uncreated creator of all things, right? The, the pre-existent creator, the eternal uh, creator, there is no opposite of that. And in, in fact, opposite of God would be nothing. <laughs> if you right. see what okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, okay. And so there is no so so humanity and divinity are not. In fact, if you remember when we talked about this, um, when we talked about the nature of sin, it's very clear. Scripture begins chapter one of the book of Genesis begins with this idea that that humanity, human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God, you know, imago Dei. Dei, imago Dei in Latin, you know, so we are created in the image of God. So there's a really, cre- I'm going to say this, a really interesting way, I think, that that humanity and divinity are related to one another, right? Now, we are cr- creature, we right. are created, right? but but that idea that, that it, it's humanity, we are image, we bear the image of the divine, we're not total okay. departures. So, so, and we we'll talk about this part another day. I think so. Jesus then being fully divine and fully human, <clears throat> as we said um, a few weeks back when we talked about God, um, he he becomes the ultimate Hebrews chapter one again. He becomes the ultimate revelation of who God is. So he shows us fully what it means to be divine. Right? He mm-hmm. he's the ultimate revelation. You remember the Hebrew writer says in the past, God spoke to us the through prophets. his forefathers you know, in various ways, divers, <laughs> King James, divers ways and divers manners, right? <laughs> um, in, in various ways and in various means in the past. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, right? Mm-hmm. Who is the exact representation of his being. And, and so so that, that radiance of God's glory, exact representation of his being. So he shows us fully who, 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 who God is. You know, it's been said, if you want to see who God is, look to Jesus, right? But then the other thing, the other interesting thing, and we'll talk about this another day, is, is Jesus also demonstrates for us ultimately what a true human is, what, what it is to truly be in relationship with God in, in that intimate kind of way as a human being. Okay. So fully divine, fully human. And I think that's interesting. You know, um, Paul uses this phrase talking about Jesus' humanity, saying he is the new Adam, right? Right. So you have this this intimacy with God that we we lost in the fall that Adam experienced, 
and and now we have this new Adam who is able to again establish that that connection, that unity. So fully divine, fully human. But I want to talk about Jesus' divinity today. We mentioned the Hebrew writer already a couple of times that talks about the divinity of Jesus. And you, you know I'm a Gospel of John person. Yes, right. And it would be pretty easy. Gospel, Gospel of John, and here's where a lot of people go with this. And I think we have to be careful here. And, and you'll you'll hear this in, in lots of different kind of authors. But the Gospel of John is pretty clear. That it's The term we use for this is high Christology, that, that the Gospel of John very clearly in a number of ways prevents, presents Jesus as divine. The Gospel of John clearly presents that Jesus is God mm-hmm. from the beginning, you know, from, from the very beginning of the book where we have the preexistent word, he was with God, he was, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the beginning with God. So, so we have that, that idea all the way through um, the, the I am statements, for example, uh, even the absolute I am statements. There's there's clear evidence. We looked at, and we may look at this again. Well, John chapter five, I think we've talked about before. My father is working to this very day, and I too am working. Mm-hmm. And then the Jewish leaders um, said, you know, you're blaspheming, ma- making yourself even uh, equal with, with God, God, right? Mm-hmm. So, so in the Gospel of John, there's a clear, clear idea that Jesus is divine. But a lot of people say, well, John's later. Now, I, I've made the argument that John isn't as late as we sometimes think, that it's right. probably closer to the destruction of the temple, which is what I believe. Late 70. He, the, the temple was in 70 AD, yeah. but John maybe was shortly thereafter. I haven't presented all the evidence for that, but I've said that's kind of what I believe. I think it's it's kind of, you know, and a big part of that is is I think it's written in response to this idea of the destruction of the temple. But what people will say is, well, that's a later development. If you look at the synoptic gospels, they don't have that high Christology. Mm-hmm. But so, so what I want to do today is kind of look at at some of the passages in the in the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, mm-hmm. that seem to indicate that that there's a higher Christology there, and that at least Jesus is claiming to be divine, even in those statements that we have within the Synoptic Gospels. So I don't believe I don't believe there's an evolution here. Like right. you see that some G- that Jesus, this wasn't a, an evolutionary thought that Jesus was God later. It that was the church, the church the kind of took that idea right. of Jesus teaching and then, and then, you know, made the, I, I think that this is something that Jesus, this isn't a Da Vinci code secret message <laughs> that we've decoded. <laughs> right. One of the authors that I'll mention, I, I think the case can be made from the synoptic gospels itself is kind of what I'm saying. And I'm going to mention this book. That's really interesting. I think it's, it's, it, it's, in certain circles, it's been read quite a bit, but there's this guy named Simon Gathercole, and he actually what? Uh, just some of the names sometimes. What? Wait, what? what oh, a lot of these good, a lot of these good scholars I like are British. Uh, no, so. no, I just I love the last name, and we were just having this conversation. We had a fire last night, and what was the guy? Von Tischen, oh, Constantine Con- von Constantine von Tischendorf. We'll talk about him yeah. someday. Yeah. <laughs> Constantine I'm, just, I'm just laughing at the names. Well, we were talking about. I was trying to remember Kevin Van Hooser. That's that's, yeah, that's a Hooser. good one too. So yeah. Yeah. anyway, it's just it's a good, it's you know, a good yeah, gather coal. Yeah, gather coal. It's a very British, and a lot of these guys are. So he's a, he's a, a professor now at Cambridge University. Really, one of these smart guys. You know, they really uh, really did I a lot. Know. Of, they really did a lot of good work. Uh-huh. I, interesting thing when I was at, I was at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland for a while, and he came as professor right after I left there, and and really good guy, really thoughtful. Um, 
really good scholar, I would say, in a lot of different ways. He wrote this book back in, I think, in 2006, and I actually heard him talk about some of these things earlier than that when he was reading papers and stuff. We were at the same conferences and this kind of thing. And and he makes a really good case. I'm going to give you the title of the book, and we, we can link this on the on mm-hmm. the website too, but it's uh, The Preexistent Sun, and then the subtitle is Recovering the Christologies of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So he's he does in this book exactly what I'm what I'm talking about. Now he does it much fuller, obviously, in a much more careful way. Wait, are you saying that in our one hour <laughs> podcast we can't cover what what, what this a Cambridge professor <laughs> covered in a book? Right, that's what I'm saying. I, okay. I just I'm I'm sorry, everyone. Yeah, that so, thought that you were going to get an so exhaustive. His now he he does several things in this book, but one of the main things he does is he, he is he says there's this re- repeated kind of phrase, and he actually shows it throughout Jewish literature as well that this is something that we find angelic beings in some of this intertestamental literature we've talked about before, the apocalyptic right. literature, mm-hmm. they use the same kind of language. But Jesus uses regularly in Matthew, Mark, and Luke this language of having come, like I've come into the world. Mm-hmm. So the question is, well, if you've come here, where have you come from? Right. You're, you got to have an origin. So so this idea of the preexistent son, mm-hmm. which is, again, preexistence is something we usually attribute to the Gospel of John in John chapter 1, right? The preexistent mm-hmm. word. But he would say, well, I think we see it in Jesus' statements in the, in the Synoptic Gospels. I have come for this reason. Let me give you a couple of examples. Both of these are from Luke. This is Luke uh, 12, 49. Why don't you read that for me? Luke yeah, 12, me pull 49. That, pull that up here real quick. Do, 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 Luke 12, 49. Here we go. I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it was. No, that's, that's it. Yeah. Uh, I have come. Oh, yeah. I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. Okay. So <laughs> Jesus. Now, well, <laughs> and, and, and here, so, so I have come. So uh-huh. you see that idea, well, you know, and 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 this idea of of fire is judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Which, again, within a Jewish mindset, judgment belongs only to God. And and Jesus saying he's taking on himself. I have come in order to bring this judgment, mm-hmm. right? To to kindle this fire. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe we'll talk about this sometime. We. We've, you've discussed one of the things that people are asking us sometimes is kind of the difference between the God of the Old Testament and, and Jesus in the New Testament. Is there mm-hmm. some kind of disparity here? And again, I think it's when we pick and choose. You know, when right. you really look at the whole picture like this, Jesus is is making a ju- judgment statement here that that there is. It's not uh, all peace and puppies. <laughs> well, and, but you know, my point is that there's this idea of you know judgment and and, and that. Here's mm-hmm. another one. This is a one that's much more familiar to people probably. This is Luke nineteen ten. Okay. I'll read this, Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Okay, so again, that idea of coming into the world. Um, and, and so he makes, again, he makes a good point that this isn't kind of a normal thing that just a you know teacher would say in this period of time, that I've come from this other place in order to come into the world in order to make these, these dramatic changes like seeking and saving the lost. Let me read this again. This is verse 10. This is uh, Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man. And this is the next thing I want to talk about. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We've talked about Son of Man a, a little bit in the past. It's in pro- prophetic literature in the, in the Old Testament. Yeah. Uh, to the two biggest places we see it is Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. And, and there, um, for example, Eli- Elijah. Ezekiel is often called the Son of Man. So the angelic messenger, for example, says, son of man, do you see this? You know, Mm -hmm. the valley of dry bones. Son of man, do you see this? And Mm -hmm. he took me to this valley full of bones. They were very dry, you know. 
And, and so son of man there seems to be referring to, to Ezekiel. Daniel, on the other hand, uses son of man in a way that seems to be a divine character. Where he um, sees one like the son of man coming. Coming, and he comes before the throne of the Ancient of Days, who's mm-hmm. God, and he's given all authority and dominion and power on earth. So he's given authority, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's that divine character. So now here's the interesting thing is that the word son of man, with one exception in the entire New Testament, is only on the lips of Jesus. Jesus is the only person, again, with one exception. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll leave that hanging there for a minute. There's <laughs> okay. one one verse. It's in the book of Acts, if, if that gives you a hint. But um, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. That's the the most used title for for Jesus in the New Testament, and it's it's used by him exclusively, except with the one exception. So <laughs> in Acts, in Acts. So so Son of Man. The question is, how do we use this? And there are those who make the argument. Maurice Casey made this argument. There are others others who have that it's it's an Aramaic idiom, baranash, which simply means. Um, you know, a, a human being, like it's a way of a self, self-reference, I, talking about me, you know, so mm-hmm. when he says the son of man. But you heard that the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Let me give you some other son of man. These are mostly from Matthew, although I'm going to finish up with one from Luke. Okay. Um, look up Matthew 13, 41 for me. Okay. Matthew, Matthew 13, 41. I should have given you some of these ahead of time, huh? Nope, that's right. The old iPad gets it done. All right, here we go. You ready for it? Yeah. Matthew 13, 41. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out uh, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Okay, so he's talking about he's he's basically interpreting for his disciples this parable that he's told earlier. But go back and think about that. So Son of Man there, Jesus is referring to himself, but he says the Son of Man will send out the angels. Mm-hmm. He's got a little dominion there, a little power. And and yeah, you know, if you think about the angels are the ones who do the bidding of of, of the you know the divine. And so so he's saying I have authority to send angels. He he claims that authority in in several different places. For example, you might remember, you know, I could call down 10,000 angels, right? And in, in this kind of this kind of reference mm-hmm. um, you know that that he he seems to claim this kind of authority over the divine or the the, the heavenly messengers. The the yeah, so let me ask you a question. This is the second sure. verse we've read, like where he's son of man or I have come. There uh-huh. seems to be like a judgment message with it. Is yeah. that a pretty strong, like when he's making divinity statements, there's a strong sense of judgment or... It, I would say it can be. Okay. Not always, but even... I'm going to go to the Gospel of John again, but remember in the Gospel of John, he claims the authority to judge, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and so that's a part of it. It's not the only part. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the divine that Jesus claims to be creator, you know, and, 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 you know, there's other parts of this as well, but judgment is one, I would say it's one aspect. Yeah, we've just read two of them where yeah. son of man, it's like he sent out the angels, yeah. the evil, and then like, I have come and it was yeah. the fire <laughs> Kindle. Well, let me read Matthew 16. This one maybe have a little bit different. Um, in fact, it's kind of the opposite in a way. This is a uh, uh, Matthew 16, 24. Uh, it says, then Jesus said to his disciples, uh, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. 
What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Here's the Son of Man statement. There's two of them here I want you to notice. Verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So that's kind of the opposite of judgment, right? We mm-hmm. have we have the reward. But again, you see the the, the promise of the Son of Man coming with the with the angels, angels. And, and giving reward. And then verse 28, truly I tell you, and that's that's just the the Aramaic word amen, which means you know it is true. Mm-hmm. Um, truly, uh, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. So that idea not only is Jesus saying I have come, but then He also uh, we sometimes talk about the ascending and descending Son of Man. He He comes, He ascends to the Father, and He's returning. And so that's the idea. I, I will come with my angels in order to give reward is is the thing that he says in, in that case. Uh, Matthew nineteen twenty eight. If you want to look up the next one, yeah. and then I'm going to kind of transition here with another one here in Matthew. All right, Matthew nineteen twenty eight. Yeah. Jesus said to them, "Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne." You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now this is a pretty um, we're familiar with this passage, not necessarily this part of it. This is the the. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Hard, mm-hmm. hard as a camel is to to go through the eye of a needle, and so the, all of his disciples are like, oh, well, then who who can enter the kingdom? Because their idea is that God's favor is shown in material blessing, and therefore. You know, rich people are the people we expect to go into the kingdom first, right? Right. And so then Peter kind of says to him, "Well, Lord, we've given up all these things for you. You know, we've we've left our homes, we've given up our families, and all these things for you." And so then Jesus says this that that you know when I'm sitting on my glorious throne, when the Son of Man is sitting on His glorious mm-hmm. throne. So so you see again that idea of kind of a dominion or authority mm-hmm. that is connected to the Son of Man. So my point here is, Son of Man, this this phrase that is that is um, uh, connected solely with Jesus, uh, I I think is more than just this kind of reference to myself, right? It's it's not mm-hmm. just Baranash, but it is. It, I see it connected to the I would say the Danielic Son of Man, this idea of the Son of Man who's given authority, power by God Himself in order to do these things, sharing. And that's here's the transition I want to make. That's what really made the Jewish leaders upset with Jesus. It was his claim to divinity. It, it wasn't just his teaching, but it was his claim that he had this equal authority to God. Um, I referenced that, in, again, in John's clear. John chapter 5 is the clearest. You know, Later on in John, John chapter 8, uh, I'll just mention this before we go into this Matthew passage I'm going to talk about, but John chapter 8, very end of that chapter, um, uh, they speak, they pick up stones because of what Jesus is saying. He 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 says, uh, he, he, you know, this idea before Abraham was, I am, and they pick up stones to stone him. And he he says uh, he says, well, which for which of my good works are you stoning me? And and they say it's not for your works. It's because you, a mere man, are are making yourself equal to God. It, it's blasphemy mm-hmm. is what they're they're accusing him of. So here's the next passage I want to look at. This is the, and so this is kind of this is kind of transitioning into that idea of um, the conflict that Jesus has with the Jewish authorities. And a significant amount of that comes from these kind of divine claims that he's making. Okay. You know, they, they can, they, they'd had prophets. In fact, you know, they, they, they have no issue with, with that. They have no issue with, 
um, some of the miracles, uh, you know, the timing, of the miracles, the Sabbath, for example, something, right, and this, this is what we're talking about here, but, but this idea of divine claim. So this is Matthew chapter 12. And I'm going to start in verse 8. And this is, I'm going to be honest, this is the end of a very long passage. Again, I'll just give you some of the context. Jesus' disciples are going through the grain fields, and they're they're kind of gleaning some of the wheat, kneading it as they walk, and they get criticized because they're it's a, it's a Sabbath day. And they're, they're har- resting and harvesting. harvesting. Right. And so verse 8 says, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So there again, you see Son of Man Lord. is the Lord of the Sabbath. And you think about Sabbath. I mean, Sabbath came into existence uh, in creation. God mm-hmm. is the is the creator of and the rested. Sabbath, right? Rested on the seventh day, set that time aside. You know, elsewhere, um, Jesus says that um, the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath, right? But here he's saying, I have authority over the Sabbath. You guys are criticizing my disciples when the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Right. And, and then he goes on. Uh, a, a little bit later, going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? All, almost like they're daring him. You know, like, go mm-hmm. ahead and let's see let's what see you're going to do. And so he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So this this idea of the conflict with the Jewish authorities because of the kind of authority he was claiming. So... I want to look at one more passage in Luke, and then I want to kind of go to a to a passage where Jesus is standing before the high priest uh, in his um, in his trial. This is Luke chapter five, uh, and this is a I, I love this passage. This is a great uh, a great passage. Luke chapter five, verses twenty and following. And uh, you remember this story, uh, Capernaum, and, and and it's cool when you see see Capernaum because we've actually ex- excavated excavated first century Capernaum. You've been there and you've yes. seen the houses, and it's, it's kind of different than you 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 know picture. We've talked about that. <laughs> Everything's before. different than I expected, right? Yes. But but you know, I think we, I made the example of the flannel graph. I remember it was these huge twenty foot high ceilings and the flannel graph that I saw, and these these guys digging through the roof and lowering down their friend in front of Jesus because of the crowd that was pressed around him. Uh, they're friend was on a mat paralyzed. He, he mm-hmm. couldn't walk. And so they lowered him down in front of Jesus. And, and you know, everybody's kind of looking. You could kind of imagine that's a dramatic entrance, right? <laughs> that would yes. that would work. Um, and, and so so he's, he's down in front of him. And so here's this paralyzed man. What's Jesus going to do? And he says, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> and, and it's like, uh... Right. You know, that, that wasn't exactly the point, right? So, so here's what happens. Verse 20 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin thinking to themselves, and listen to what they say, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Mm-hmm. So, so they, here's kind of the point I'm making. In even the synoptic gospels, the the Jewish leaders in the narrative itself understand what Jesus is saying, and, and they're closer to the time than we are. Right? Absolutely, yes, they understood the claims he was making. It was not our, a hidden thing. Our divine claims. He's claiming to have the authority of God Himself, right? Mm-hmm. You talked about. We you said judgment, reward. Um, here we're talking about forgiveness, forgiveness. of sins. Mm-hmm. Is only that's only God's. You know, he, He's the only one who can do that. Claiming authority over the Sabbath. 
You know, all these things are, are divine claims that Jesus is making. So, so, so here's what I'm saying is Jesus is not, uh, you know, Lewis, C.S. Lewis famously said, you know, Jesus is Lord, liar, or lunatic, right? He, mm-hmm. he, 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 you can't say he's just a good teacher because Jesus is making claims beyond being a good teacher. Mm-hmm. He's saying, I am God himself in the flesh. In fact, I could have mentioned this in, in Luke, you might remember what they is said that, that he is to be called when he's born. Uh, he's to be called Emmanuel, which means God, with, God with us, right? This idea that God has come uh, in, into the world and he, he is here with us. But anyway, uh, they, they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking, said, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiveness or to say, get up and walk. He heals the man as a sign of this. I love the way it ends. Everyone was amazed, gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Um so this news about him spread, you know, the, it, it's, you know, just to claim to be able to forgive sins is one thing, but then to demonstrate by causing a paralyzed man to be able to walk uh, demonstrates that this, this isn't just him claiming this authority, but he has this authority. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, those are all places. Then there's one more that I want to talk about with this idea of religious leaders. Why did they kill Jesus? Um, two different places we can look. Let's look at Mark. We've been looking at Matthew quite a bit. Look at Mark chapter 14. Okay. This is verses 60 through 65, Mark 14, 60. Um, and uh, you want to go ahead and read that there? Yeah, Mark 14, 60. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? you keep going. Through 65. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. sorry. But Jesus re- remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. So ultimately, why did the authorities... Why, why did the Jewish authorities, Jewish leaders, kill Jesus? It's blasphemy. He said he was God. And, and, and I mean, listen to that again. So, and, and by the way, this is an interesting thing in Mark. You, in John, again, you have these I am statements. Uh, and a lot of people will talk about them. I, I am refers back probably to Exodus chapter 3 uh, mm-hmm. and that idea of, uh, you know, when Moses said, what God should I tell the Egyptians is sending me? He said, you tell them I am, you know, and he gives himself the... We call it the covenant name or the divine name, the tetragrammaton, yud heh vav Yahweh, we often say. Um, and here Jesus says, I am. And there's a couple places in the Gospel of John, like I mentioned it earlier, John chapter 8, where he says, before Abraham was, I am. Mm-hmm. And and you know that's a, one of those things that they, they understood him saying blasphemy. Here it is in Mark 2, you know, I am. And you will see the Son of Man, there's that Son of Man we mm-hmm. talked about earlier, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. So again, that kind of claim of, of authority. And again, the high priest understood it, right? Right. This what, wasn't like a, a hidden a hidden message to them. It was like plain as day, tore his clothes, like as soon as he heard it, it was... We don't need any more testimony, right? He's saying, he's yeah, it's clear as day. He's, con- he's convicted himself here, and everybody understands it, and that's their response that they have to it. So, you know, he, so here's Mark. You know, if, if you're one of these people who thinks Mark's the earliest gospel and there's 
some evolution. I, I mean, here is Jesus' words at his trial before the high priest, where he is claiming divine authority in a number of different ways, right? Mm-hmm. And and again, they understand that. They're saying he's he's claiming equality with God. That's what they really had an issue with. That's what they really, you know— had a hard time with in this. Uh, and, and so, you know, that that's what we see. And we see this in Matthew as well. Um, and, and so that's, that's kind of, you know, Jesus divinity is not, in my opinion, is not something that developed over a period of time, but it is something that Jesus himself taught from the beginning. Again, I'll refer back to Simon Gathercole's book, just the very fact that he said, I have come for this reason. I've come into the world in order to do this. I've come to seek and to save the lost. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, this is what I'm doing here. Um, you know, I've come to testify to the truth. Uh, all of these things are, are simply ways that Jesus was affirming that, that he is this divine son of man mm-hmm. who has come into the world in order to, uh, you know, accomplish God's purpose here. Fully divine, but the incarnation, we believe, fully human. So, so that's, I think it's important for us to understand that and, and believe that about Jesus. Does that bring any thoughts to yeah mind so i mean why is that at I, I had this conversation with a neighbor and sure you know, had the, but why is that so important you know what i mean like why yeah. is it so important that jesus is god and man mm-hmm. you know what i mean and that it, this isn't a hidden this isn't right. a hidden thing that he himself saw him this way as well the, the there's several ways i could answer that question so you, you this is your your famous so what question here right so. <laughs> I feel like you're saying that with a little bit of no, no, little dig, no. right? In the, yes, of course, it's a well, so what well, let question. Me, let me let me let me end with this. This this is kind of a well, I shouldn't say end with this, but here's the overarching thing I will say is is that means that there is a claim to absolute uniqueness to the Christian message. Mm-hmm. Jesus is not saying what he does not say is I am one of the gods. Right, mm-hmm. he is not saying, "I am," um, you know, "I am a messenger of God." Uh, he's not even saying, and, and I'll be very careful here. He's not even saying, "I am a son of God, a child of God." Not like, a created. We all have the ability to call ourselves children of God. You know, in fact, Jesus made it possible for us to have the ability to call ourselves children of God. But he is the unique. Son of God, he he is the the individual Son of God, who who calls God his own Father. You know, this is John five. You know, it's not just that God is our Father, but he he called him his unique, his his own Father, and and is claiming the same authority with God. So, here's what I will say, and 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 I understand there's different ways of approaches, but but let me say this: I, I Gospel of John is big for me, Book of Romans is big for me. I am not an inclusivist. Okay, and and I'll just define that as as someone who would say that the the Christian claims um, apply to anyone who is who is faithfully seeking uh, God in their in their own context. Right? I am an exclusivist. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, <laughs> when you really carefully read the Gospel of John, he doesn't give us much choice because John presents this idea that we are born dead, mm-hmm. that that our default case is dead until we are made alive in Christ. And, and so there's that there's that idea that that Jesus is making an ex- exclusive claim here to have a very unique um, role, <laughs> mm-hmm. a very unique place. And, and as I've said before, when we talked about the Trinity, you know, 
Christ is claiming, Jesus is claiming that he is the creator of all things, that he is the preexistent, uncreated creator. Nothing has been made that is, you know, nothing that has been made has been made without him, mm-hmm. you know. And and so that that gives him exclusive rights. Christian, in my opinion, and again, there's people who who would disagree with me on this, but Christianity is an exclusive religion. It, it is claiming this is the you know, I'm going to use a John phrase. This is the way, right? And the truth. Um, no one, Jesus says, comes to the Father except through me. Mm-hmm. And so here's the way then. That, so that's the overarching thing I would say. And let me give you a couple of then smaller implications. I don't know about smaller, but they're, they're very important. Um, but so Hebrews chapter one, that, that God is revealing himself ultimately in Jesus, is we would say that Jesus is the way that God is coming to us. If you right. think about the incarnation, e- Emmanuel, God yeah. is coming to us and is also the means by which we come to God. Mm-hmm. No one comes to the Father, Jesus says, except through me. A Hebrew writer, it, it's through his, his, the, the curtain that is his body that we now have confidence to enter into the most holy place. In other words, the most holy place in the temple was a place where God's presence was mediated. Because of Jesus in his flesh, we now can enter into the most holy place. So, so you get that. He's the mediator. He's he's the means by which God came to us, and he is the means also by which we now go to God. And, and so, you know, again, that's he is the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's what I would un- understand that to be. I think that, you know, this idea of son of man, we talked about the authority. It, it means that he, here's a very practical implication that is, that is incredibly wide-ranging. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- when you became a Christian, when you, when you, mm-hmm. when you publicly declared yourself as a follower of Christ, mm-hmm. what do you remember about that day? What did you, what did you say or what did you do? Uh, well, I remember going up to the front and like, okay. I believe that Jesus is the Lord, the son of the living God. Okay. And I commit my life to him. Then as I'm baptized, uh-huh. I'll be baptized in the name of the father, the son and the Holy spirit. Sure. Forgiveness yeah. of your sins and the gift of the Holy spirit. Okay. So, so you said, I, you know, usually we say something like, I believe uh, Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. Son of the Living God. Uh, and, and I uh, am, you know, making him Lord and Savior of my life. There's a lot of times the two, two parts we'll talk about. Lordship is, is kind of where I'm, I'm going with this, is um, because he is divine, because he created us, he has absolute authority over our lives. Not just some aspect of it, um, not just a tenth of it or part of it, but he is Lord of our lives. And, uh, you know, all of us fail at, at that. Uh, but, but what we strive for then as followers of Christ is to give him ultimate authority in, in our families, in our work, in, in everything that we do. And, and I think it's his divinity that, that is part of that. Now, we can talk about... And I'll probably spend a lot of time talking about redemption another day, but I would say, and I've said this a lot, and, and this this is this gets a little hard to understand, probably more than we have time to talk about now. But I'll just introduce this idea now: is I would say that that Jesus is both divine and human is the only way that He can then provide that way. I've kind of done this backwards, I guess. You know, I already talked about Hebrews, this idea of his through his body uh, that we now enter into this this relationship with God. But 
the ability for him to provide for us an atoning sacrifice for sin, not just us, but the entire world can only uh, be accomplished, can only be accomplished if he's divine. Um, you know, it, it's one thing for someone to give, you know, the whole point is that the wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we deserve to die because of our sin. And, and that's, you know, that's what, what we will receive and, and death, of course, it's not not only we're talking about physical death, but we're talking about a spiritual kind of death and an eternal. Se- we're separated from God because of our sin, and if we die in that state, then then that's an eternal separation, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of the definition of what we would refer to as hell, being eternally apart from from God, mm-hmm. and and so you know Jesus has you know part of what he says he came he he came into the world uh, in order to die for sins right mm-hmm. and, and so it's that idea of um his his divine and he's human he 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 as hebrews 2 says he shares with those that he's he's redeeming right mm-hmm. he shares with us in the flesh but he's also divine. It's not just another another human being offering to die in our place. It's not just a sinless human being offering to die in our place. Mm-hmm. He he is that, but he's also the divine, the eternal, the eternal um, God. There there was a gap there that only he could. He, he's the only one who could, could bridge the gap. Yeah, if you want to say it that way. And so so that's the other other part of it. Again, there's much more to say about that. Yes. But uh but I think that's the other implication of this that he's he's the only one that can the the kind of claims that he makes, then he's the only one who can who can fulfill. Right. And I think maybe we should talk about this for just a second. It's okay. talking about the importance of the word the word son and what it means and what it doesn't sure. what okay. it doesn't mean because I think that's mm-hmm. uh you know, in, in a human perspective, we have a very Sure. You know, we we understand, but that it's that the that the father son is not how we always think of father son. Right. Well, I mean, there there's a couple things I'll say about this. The first is that there are several people who are sons of God, mm-hmm. right? Um, all the way back to um, one of the examples I use is in early part of the book of Exodus when Moses goes to the Pharaoh. Uh, he says, "Let my um, people go. Yeah. Well, he, he says, my son, uh, you know, uh, and, and talking about the people of people of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Israel is called the son of God. For example, the prophets are called the sons of God, uh, which Jesus makes reference to in another place. What is different here, different here? And I would say son of man is even ironically, we often think of son of God as the divine title of son of man as a human title. I think it's almost the opposite. We are son of God because of what Christ accomplished, but the unique son of man, not just, not, not just a human being, but the, the unique son of man who's given the you know divine authority, like we see in the book of Daniel, um, that gives him that authority. So, so he's the son and yeah, I think what you're talking about, then the other thing you're talking about here is that it's not, we're not talking about him being born of God in the normal kind of way. Um, but the, it, it's, it, I would say it's more about the relationship that we would understand between father and son, not, not the origin mm-hmm. uh, of the son in the father, but the idea of, um, the, the authority of the only begotten, the, the, the firstborn son, mm-hmm. um, is the, is the primary focus of that, the unique son, 
Um, and, and I think we can see that. There's only four times that word is used, the idea of only begotten. Uh, three of them are in John and one's in Hebrews in the New Testament. Um, and, and all of them talk about that idea of the, the authority, the, the, um, the role. It's of a the positional. It's a positional thing, not a, not a genetic. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, and I think that's a thing is not that's where birth. some of the things really, yeah. we, you know, we may talk about this a little bit later, like where some of the real problems, and we talked about that Aries and Athanasius at the beginning sure. of this episode, like mm-hmm. – understanding that and like what those words mean and what those words don't mean. Right. You know, because I think understanding who Jesus is and you and I've had this conversation many times, like Uh if you miss who Jesus is, you know, like it's, if if you get that part wrong, then the rest of it doesn't make sense, and it can go down some really it, it, it does off, off paths. And then. there are other implications we could talk about, like you know, Jesus. Jesus is one of the reasons we believe the scriptures have the authority that that we believe they do is because he gives them that kind of authority, and you know, he he is the eternal Word of God. Uh, but yeah, eternally begotten is is one of the ways that people will talk about this that not not made, not created, but there's this eternal relationship. Is this forever kind of relationship? Uh, you know, I I do not believe, and there, again, there are others that would disagree with this. I do not believe the Father existed without the Son. I believe that 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 the Trinity, the the dynamic community of the Trinity, however we understand that, is is a is an eternal uh, aspect of God's um, nature. Yeah. So, so you know, that's that's the way I would. I would kind of talk about that. So I don't know if that, yeah. <laughs> that helps no, or not, no, but you're right. I just, wanted, I just want to wrap a little bit. And again, we're just scratching the surface. Absolutely. Like, I mean, it's, this is, we're just trying to set up like basics of like who Jesus is. And sure. I'm sure we'll talk more. Yeah, I think we will. Jesus. And I would like to, <laughs> we have to, it's a Bible podcast. We I would like to Jesus. talk about, you know, his humanity at some point, but yeah, I think the I think the divinity of Jesus, we, we've been talking about some of these very foundational theological topics. And I think this idea that Jesus is, is divine. I think we need to stand strong on that. And, and part of the reason is, and you know, I, I guess here's my concern is we, we, we see this kind of, it's hard to make an exclusive claim these days in in our culture. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. It's not popular, uh, and that's one of the things that that the church is criticized for. But yet, at the same time, I think Scripture makes clear that those kind of exclusive claims, you know, when when Jesus says, and again, I believe the Gospel of John, you know. Is is historical. I believe that it's telling us things about what Jesus really said and what he, what he really did. Probably need to discuss that another day. But <laughs> but um, uh, you, you know when he says things like, um, "No one comes," you know, "I am the way, the truth, and light. No one comes to the Father except through me." That's a very exclusive claim. And and if we're followers of Christ, if we believe that He said that, if we believe the truth of that, then it it has implications for for the way that we live. L- let me just say this briefly as well. I think it has implications for uh, missions. You know that that we believe um, that that the gospel is something that needs to be spread to all nations. But not only because Jesus said that in, in, in Matthew 28, I, I didn't mention this. You mentioned being baptized in the name of the father, son, and the Holy spirit. Of course, that's Matthew 28. Jesus again says that in the, in the book of Matthew, that people need to be baptized into my name, you know, into yes. the father and the son and the Holy spirit. Um, but, but, Go into all nations. He he commanded us, right? But then there's also if we believe that this is the exclusive way by which we we know God, it, it becomes a part of our duty. It behooves us to to do that. Even our evangelism 
to our neighbors. You know, evangelism is one of these topics that that's not as popular as it used to be. You know, we don't like mm-hmm. to talk about that. It makes us uncomfortable sometimes. But these kind of exclusive claims, I think, are you know, we we I don't believe that Jesus, that 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 um, Christianity is is a way to the truth. I believe it is it is the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe Jesus is the truth, and um, you know that that. It stands in that way, not as as simply. Uh, and, and there's a lot of different ways, even philosophically, I believe this. But um, it, it doesn't just stand in the marketplace of ideas as 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 a good one. And this is kind of you know you've been reading some Francis Schaeffer. This is where I think Schaeffer really excels. Is he would say it it is the only viable um, way of understanding reality. That's what truth means. Mm-hmm. Um, we we've kind of truth has fallen hard times too. Um, yes, and, it and has. we should we should talk about that another day too. But um, but this idea that when Jesus says I am the truth, it, it is an exclusive kind of claim. When he stands before Pilate uh, and, and said, you know, for this reason I came into the world to testify the truth. All those who are on the side of truth, listen to me. Um, and then you know. Of course, Pilate scoffs at him, and there are many who scoff today at this idea of of an, an absolute universal truth. But I understand true. I, I would understand truth as that which corresponds to reality. Um, it is absolute. Doesn't mean I have absolute grasp on it. Doesn't mean I understand it absolutely. I, I'm not going to claim. You know, I'm going to have enough hermeneutic humility to say that I I don't have absolute access to the truth. I'm not divine, mm-hmm. but I know the one who is. And uh, and so I seek to follow him and and trust in, in in you know what he tells me is true you know what what I hear from him in scripture that's true so interesting great Brian. was that enough <laughs> hey we're gonna try sign off today is that right we are gonna try sign off today do you want to do you want to yeah, I'll give it a well, shot you know, okay, okay so let me just say this to our audience so we've just gone through some heavy Jesus stuff <laughs> and now we're gonna try to be a little whimsical here. So we're been working on a sign off. If you've listened to our past episodes, we've been working on a sign off. So right, because right, right now what we do is it's like Ryan goes, "All right, see ya." All right, so, bye, bye, bye. bye. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of awkward. It's kind of like you know in the, I, I in the had, front hallway of a midwestern family. I never felt it was awkward until it does, just now. It, it when does you me, said. yeah. But okay, so you go, you go so yours. He, so we're trying some different sign offs. If you have an idea of one that would be better than this, let us know because because this well, this you, is our try. You, so you, do, you go. Okay, so. May all may. Oh, well, now I gotta start over. Okay, I'm just gonna be quiet because I'm making things awkward. I'm just gonna be quiet. May you have lots of nice things to eat. May you have always a full cup of coffee, and may your Bible always be worn out. How's that for sign off? Okay, that. Well, really you ruined it because we were supposed to just sign off then. Okay. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Next week, Brian and I are doing something a bit different. Instead of taking a whole episode to look at one topic, I'm taking the opportunity to ask Brian questions about some of the topics we've discussed so far on this podcast. We take a look at the King James Version of the Bible and why some people claim it's the only true Bible and it's the only one you should read. So we discuss that. I ask Brian if we are indeed in the end times. And we also look at the claim some make that the God of the Old Testament doesn't seem to match up very well with Jesus. You know, there's a lot of warring and fighting in the Old Testament, and Jesus seems to be all about peace. And so what do we do with that? So Brian and I take the time to talk about that. We hope you'll join us for that conversation. You can find show notes, links, and more at thebiblebistro.com, as well as sign up for our email newsletter to stay in touch. 
You can find us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Bible Bistro. And as always, you can subscribe to us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Just search for Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next Tuesday.